I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Bill Fox. And we love to watch. We love to watch has noted that Australians really don't like walking anywhere. guys uh really excited to have you on uh tonight bill uh we're changing the format a little um i uh peter sent me the message of what movies we're doing this month and uh according to the text i got from him we are doing uh the road wario so i (laughs) didn't know what peter i didn't know what peter meant but he's made it clear he doesn't like questions so i played all of super mario land three for Game Boy, starring what I assume is the Road Wario, in that he you play as Wario and there's roads. Uh, so yeah, excited to have you on for this special change of format episode. I'm With excited good too. Pal, I also Wario. played Super Nintendo three. <laughs> you played Super Nintendo three? Oh shit, Mario three. <laughs> oh, I'm off. Kick me out. Is that what they called the N64 in uh, Michigan? <laughs> the really Super Nintendo. Yeah, so everyone, do your best. Let's kick it off with your best Wario impression. <laughs> Great. I don't even know who that was. It sounded like Wario. So the next voice, yeah. if you could go. I don't even know what Wario sounds like. <laughs> oh, oh, well, so the person that just talked was a dead ringer for Wario. So I think if you just follow that path down, you're going to be, you're going to end up right in the right spot. <laughs> Yeah, well, just wait till I Google a clip of uh, Wario, then I'll really be dead on. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Did that clip have an ad that played in front of it by any chance there, Bill? It it did. I failed miserably. (laughs) You got owned by capitalism yet again. All right, let me... Incredibly Mario... uh, An incredibly Wario So Wario! That was the best impression yet. (laughs) Now let me do mine. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
uh, Chode Warrior, for instance. Uh, nothing. Coming up empty. Really? I'm sure I there is. I think you, you are not take... looking hard enough if there's no yeah. Road Warrior porn. <laughs> there's gotta be I some. I once saw Left for Dead pornography, and uh, it was surprisingly good uh, special effects. It was like, it's a very, it was a very strange mix of emotions running through me. Uh, list out all those emotions in order of importance. Uh, horny. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and slightly impressed. <laughs> so too horny again. Oh, okay. you know that feeling where you're like, "Well, I guess I am horny." That's that's the second. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if I was horny? Oh, wait, no, I am horny. That's weird. <laughs> and then Peter got really horny, which is emotion number four. Yeah, you you can't play chicken with horniness because um, you will make yourself horny. Uh, speaking of making people horny, Bill Fox is back on the show, uh, who is related to. Peter through uh, his kids. <laughs> clearly, clearly, I have no qualifications for being on the show. Just be upfront. Uh, well, he's been so. I don't know if you have qualifications to be on this show, you have Bill. At least two credits. I do. Yeah, we love to watch and we love to watch. Let's talk well, about what I've been up to. Well, I've been on this <laughs> podcast twice. <laughs> I was half sober. If you combine the two episodes, so. uh, Bill, I, Bill, I don't, uh, I don't know if you remember uh, leaving college, but uh, you get the experience from doing the thing. So this, those both count as doing the thing. Well, here's the thing, though. I kind of want to call Bill's uh, credentials into question, even though he has appeared on this show twice, and that's because. Bill came on a show to talk about Christmas movies. That's his bread and butter. We we learned a lot about how Bill goes to sleep watching these these made-for-TV Christmas movies, does research about them, spends a lot of time thinking about them, does arts and crafts to them. I imagine gets horny to them, as long as we were talking about that earlier. Um, we don't know his qualifications on... Mad Max, or more specifically, the Road Warrior, or his knowledge of Australian deserts, of being a leather daddy, uh, a lot of things up in the air here. So, so in other words, you're taking a huge risk, right? I mean, that's. I think, I think, yeah. I mean, the network has been clamping down on us pretty hard. So, admittedly, this is a pretty big risk for us in the ratings. So, Bill. Give us the CV. Why did you want to join us to talk about The Road Warrior? Well, I think I actually offered to be on anything. And so this was the one you guys probably (laughs) felt required the least amount of qualifications. Um, A a stirring uh, recommendation for yourself. Anyone who had any doubt in their heart has pulled over the side of the road and is like asking God for forgiveness. I think we we discussed that I like the opportunity to go in my basement, drink and talk about movies with you guys. And so if this fits the bill, great. Although you guys did give me the choice, which might offend whoever has to talk about Fury Road or make them happy. I don't know. Between Fury Road and... And Mad Max 2 or Road Warrior, whichever you prefer. And I chose Mad Max 2 and I had to think about that a lot as I rewatched it like 10 times. And I think it was sentimental reasons. So this movie mm-hmm. to me is probably of all of the Mad Max series the most sentimental and why I wanted to do it. Um, but not necessarily where, I'm, where I may fall out on which one is best. I think that's ideal though because we don't want everyone gunning for Fury Road and then going, <laughs> shit. Well, I guess I'll take. Like, that's the ideal Like I said, I, I, I made someone happy that they got to get Fury Road yeah. and I'm stuck with Mad Max too. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think uh, that's uh, that's the deal is that like this movie is like buried into the consciousness of like an entire generation of people. And in spite, we'll get into it, but like it, it, it essentially reshaped how we looked at apocalyptic literature and i don't know if you guys have seen a movie recently but like one out of three movies is about the either an impending apocalypse or a post-apocalypse I, so i've uh, seen a couple yeah. movies uh recently both of them mad max movies um so yeah <laughs> i have no choice but to agree with you um a couple updates though we need from bill before we get into mad max before we get into this movie the first one is just a general update we want to provide our listeners so bill did choose this movie in december and then a week later, texted Peter and myself and said, I don't know if I'm going to want to do this in March. I've watched it six times in the last week and I'm getting sick of it. <laughs> so, so the first thing we need to update on is, did you stop watching it for any length of time be- between uh, December and now? Or have you been pretty much watching it consistently? Uh, I stopped for periods of time, but for the most part, this was my, you know, research fodder while I was doing other things like we talked about the Christmas movies. So I've probably seen it more in the past two months than you guys have in your lives. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, Bill, when was the first time you watched this movie? Did you watch it growing up? I watched it, I was thinking about this, listening to the beginning of the first Mad Max. I watched it in middle school. Um, when we broke into my friend's older brother's chest of treasures looking for pornography, we found Mad Max and Mad Max 2. For some reason, we watched Mad Max 2 first and loved it. And we tried to watch Mad Max, but it was such a poor quality VHS that we actually gave up. So that was probably <laughs> the reason. You inspire a bunch of horny 13-year-olds or whatever. That's pretty, that's pretty bad. Well, it was poorly dubbed. It was really, really bad. And the quality of the VHS was really bad. So we stopped. And I think it stuck with me. I never went back to rewatch the first movie until, I don't know, probably with you, Peter. I mean, we always had the post-apocalyptic thing or pre-apocalypse mm-hmm. thing going on. So I don't think I went mm-hmm. back. So it stayed in my mind as a piece of crap for a long time until I revisited it. But Mad Max 2 was... Something I always liked. Saw it young. So did you end up liking Mad Max when you finally saw a non-crappy version? Uh, yes. But it it, it was too late. I mean, Mad Max 2 was my favorite. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so the other update we need is just a quick family update. Uh, has your wife, Peter's sister, expressed any additional interest in ever listening to this podcast now that you're on it for a third time? No. To the contrary, she's probably expressed interest in never hearing it or reinforced that interest that she never wants to listen to the podcast. Do you take it interest has only grown? Do you take it more personally now? Because like I get that she doesn't want to listen to Peter. I understand that quite quite a bit, to be honest. Um, I don't want to go into why. Um, but, But now she doesn't want to listen to you. So is that is any personal offense taken? No, that perfect. There's, there's options. No, it's even better this way. I'm even more isolated when I come to you know film on your podcast or recording your podcast. <laughs> so what's something that you could you you feel comfortable saying on this podcast right now, knowing that she's never going to listen to this? Wow, that's a tough one. I, we're going to have to revisit that because that's too good to waste on something simple. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna really think about like what you can say <laughs> yeah 
Like, remember that time I told you I was at work and I was actually <laughs> drunk waiting on bail money from a college roommate? But <laughs> something. Okay, yeah, well, well, so think about it. We'll do an ending segment called Bill's Secret Vault, where you oh, just Jesus. just really let loose well, it works all the things the that you never want Elise to find out about. I think that's a good idea. It's perfect uh, too because she's got to she's got to listen to the whole thing then. I mean, half yeah. the listeners are actually going to stay now because they want to know these dark, these dark secrets. That would be a shit. fun. That would be a fun because I, I, Bill, I do very much enjoy having you on. I imagine you will be on often, um, and I do like a recurring segment that occurs at the end of episode, which is just some secret that Bill's never told his wife. <laughs> <laughs> we should make it about Pete's family as well. I mean, I, yeah, we something can do that. that relates to our family in total or my wife. Either one works. I would love to deeply embarrass uh, my family, but do it in the <laughs> buried within the the confines of uh, an artistic endeavor endeavor that I'm trying to do. <laughs> I think it gets harder too if you don't tell them which episode, just that it occurs at the end of one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's torture. Yeah, like you got to listen to a lot. Uh, or is it the middle? I can't remember. Anyways, our episodes are <laughs> are two hours long. Uh, so. So yeah, we're in our second entry of of the Mad Max uh uh cinematic universe as it's very well known as the the MC wait the MMCM wait MMCU yeah double MCU that's what they call the old interconnected Mad Max cinematic universe. I want to follow up with something from last week, Peter, before mm-hmm. we get into it. So I had said I mounted somewhat of a passionate defense for how much I loved Mad Max when I saw it in uh in when I was 19 and I I did see these movies in order and uh and didn't see uh saw Road Warrior right after seeing Mad Max and just loved both of them had a preference for Mad Max um I hadn't seen Mad Max since we uh, watched and recorded it for the episode uh, but then rewatched Road Warrior and saw Beyond, Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, uh, well, I can tell you the the first night that my daughter Maya was back from the hospital about six years ago because I stayed up all night with her and I watched those two movies. Um, so I said that, hey, I really like the Road Warrior. And this is before Fury Road had come out. And so I assumed now watching these two in close proximity, while I still have a ton of affection for Mad Max and think it's a great movie – I'm going to come down probably that I like the Road Warrior more now. And to my surprise, I still kind of prefer Mad Max to the Road Warrior. Uh, I mean, they, they are fundamentally different movies yeah. in a sense. Like, like uh, the first one is a more minimalist, lean, simple feature that has a sort of like – primal simplicity at times and road warrior is a big sweeping western like it has like a sense of of uh geography and and that the world is so much bigger than than max whereas like i feel like in in the original uh max is the world is max and max is the world see i it's it's so simple it's so simplified and it's so lean and like you get little peaks the outside world in road warrior i'm getting a sense that there is an entire massive world out here, and we're going to see a lot of it. See, that's so funny you say that because I actually think the exact opposite of these two movies. Because so, so do I. I'm, in I'm, Mad I'm Max, he's not—he's not even 
the main character. Like he he's at the very beginning, but otherwise it follows Goose until Goose ends up in the burn unit with just a couple flashes of Max. And Max is going across the country. There's still civilization. This one, like, and I don't think this is a criticism of either, but from like a scale perspective, Mad Max feels like there's a bigger universe out there. And this Road Warrior feels like there's basically things happening in maybe two square miles and everything else is an empty desert we never get to see. I mean, if there is more, what the hell are they doing staying in those two square miles? I mean, it's really not the most hospitable place to stay. But in any event, I think two is much simpler or road warrior is much simpler it's like probably the reason i like it because i'm a fan of simple movies it's like a john wick it's kind of a one-way roller coaster it doesn't feel huge to me like the other one where there's a lot going on this is here's a guy on the street action drama more action drama cut i mean it's and i love it for what it is but it's yeah and i i want to be very clear i love the road warrior i have them both with the same star rating on letterbox it is a slight preference that even surprised me um but it is not like i think the mad max is is like a great movie and i think road warrior is uh like three stars it's they're both five star movies i love and and to clarify i think we all probably would agree with this but you guys can tell me if i'm wrong it's that the the simplicity is in in movie in these movies i think can be misunderstood as like shallowness or um uh, stupidity or dullness uh and it doesn't mean that actually at all um if it's effective in its simplicity and it's effective in its leanness yeah it's it's truly truly powerful and there's a sort of thing about tools and a tool that is a that is like a swiss army knife right it does like seven things just okay it's not something you get like excited about right it's not something that you're like okay cool we're getting this out so, but like a tool that does one job super super fucking well is laudable that's something you're like it, it's an indispensable piece right yeah um and like that's something that i think about with movies because i think that the food metaphors are like a little is are overdone that's been said for a long time i think like i think of it as like a tool like i think of something that's like it's it has an intended purpose and it um it was designed for that intent, intended purpose and only that intended purpose, and it executes on it a- accurately. So you're saying, I like, that, I think that all these movies are kind of simple. At least one, two, and four. I'll, we'll save our thoughts for Beyond Thunderdome for next week, but um, one, two, and four, at least I will say, are uh, these these like um, one, two, one, two, and four are these like perfect tools that accurately capture some aspect of of max as a character in this world and then don't try and go outside those bounds too much and they only give us like little tastes of it and that's why they're so effective and why they stick in your consciousness so much almost like a weird dream you had once (laughs) yeah i'm gonna quickly add confession one from bill's vault i (laughs) check i very frequently give elise a hard time this is my wife for the listeners about buying the single purpose kitchen tools just because they take <laughs> up a ton of space and they're obnoxious. And yet my wood shop is full of them and I will spend exorbitant sums on mon- of money on a very nice single purpose tool. So I do it all <laughs> the, the time. But if Elise tries to do it in the kitchen, I'm going to question everything that she spends money on, which I shouldn't do. And that's rude, but I do. But there's so much kitchen shit where you're just like, do I really need this like uh app like this av- avocado slicer or avocado peeler? You're like you have a knife. 
you know where you know there's a pit in there you're gonna find it like <laughs> there's super specific tools you're like why do i have an entire junk drawer of shit that i forget exists i think that's uh i think that's just part of being in any sort of relationship where like there's a like at a very high level an unspecific agreement that yeah life is short and if we have extra money to spend we should buy stuff on stuff we want and you know, uh, you know, we're not always going to have the same interests and wants. So if you have something you want, you go buy it. And, you know, if I have something I want, I'm going to buy it. And then that's met with, like, the things that you guys both find incredibly stupid that the other one spends money on. Where it's like, <laughs> huh, $200 on that, huh? Interesting. <laughs> you know? It's just like, I mean, I it's just a lot of money. Like, do you think you're going to keep spending money on this? Uh, or are you done with what you've just purchased? In this case, this I, is I like give- specifically my wife to me about like, how many more uh, voodoo movies are you going to buy this month? Have you guys ex- <laughs> have you experienced like the fake fraud check where Elise will be like, hey, just checking. Did you accidentally spend this money online or did someone hack our card? And it's like, yes, I know what you're doing. I can confirm that i spent two hundred dollars on this single chisel but you know for a fact we weren't hacked right i mean that, that is, <laughs> but that's the new way of coming at it without being like on the nose about questioning my spending so we'll be on the lookout for that one aaron it's gonna come we don't do that we do more the uh uh three hundred dollars at target huh <laughs> Whoa. don't see any gro- don't see any groceries kind of weird <laughs> uh yeah so back to the the angry max boy that we have yeah i do i i do really like this movie was just surprised that some of my some of my uh platitudes for why i really always enjoyed mad max slightly more than this movie i think they held up and i think the other reason a little bit is why they held up is that when there was just the three movies before fury road you could say a lot about The Road Warrior or compare it to the other movies, but at the end of the day, The Road Warrior had that ending 20-minute chase that was just incredibly impressive and it just kept going and it was really pulse-pounding. And I still love that sequence. Still truly amazing. But this is the first time I've watched it since seeing Fury Road. And I will say, like, it – it didn't live up to my memory as much. It felt a lot more uh, simple than I remembered it. And you mean simple as an insult here? I don't mean as an insult. Compared ins- to the way we used it three minutes ago? <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't mean it as an insult. I just mean like all of a sudden the – so I guess in my memory, that last 20-minute sequence of Road Warrior was comparable to the intensity and the scale of Fury Road. And Fury Road's thing was that, hey, instead of 20 minutes of a sequence like this, we're going to do it for two hours. And then rewatching it for the first time since seeing Fury Road, I was a little surprised how small it felt. Like the truck seems small. The like even how fast they're traveling on the road was so much more noticeably less like fast than the intensity. And I get that's just different era, different filmmaking techniques. But I think that part where you could say about the Road Warrior, like, hey, it's the only one that has this level of, like, consistent kinetic action scenes throughout. I don't think that's necessarily true about it as much anymore. Nope. I I had the same exact experience. I mean, I I was – I probably hadn't rewatched Road Warrior when I said I wanted to do Road Warrior. 
yeah. sub- subsequent to watching Fury Road. And so when I went back, it was always like this very, you know, specially held memory towards the movie. And I watched mm-hmm. it and I was kind of like, that t- truck just tipped over. Like it wasn't like nearly <laughs> the level that I was expecting. Now then I, you know, subsequently watched it about 15 times more. And I, and I do appreciate how well executed it was. And I still love the movie. But it did not have the same power. And part of that for me, I think, was the score. Or like the the music. I mean, that was a big difference for me relative to where Fury Road took it. Yeah, Fury Road has uh, has a sort of unique thing where the budget was I don't know seventy times whatever this movie's budget. Yeah, was. I don't have the numbers on hand, um, but uh, that means that they could get a, pro- a more professional scoring done. Um, that means that they could do way 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 more stunts and safer too. Um, and a lot of the stunts in this movie were very unsafe. Like, there were tons of accidents on set, which is partially why George Miller later was so safety conscious on um, on Fury Road. Um, and why he basically was, like, all ready to – he was all ready to not use the um, – what are they called? Like, the pole balancer guys? He was like, no, that looks insane. And then they, like, explained to him how it works and all the safety protocols they had. And, they were, and he was like – Oh, shit, we can actually do this. We can actually do this. Um, So in this movie, uh, people got, during the many chases, people got hit by cars. You can actually see someone's body getting flung that I was convinced was a dummy, but is actually just an unconscious human who had his arm shattered. So what it loses in that sort of uh, zillion dollar glossiness, it does gain in a rough and tumble, uh, rough and tumble, more punk sensibility, where it's not the, it's not the crisp clean sort of perfect fury road what it gains is this this uh this indie movie roughness that like gives it a completely different aspect than than fury road and it's also to be said fury road is an entire chase movie um this movie is a siege movie with a awesome chase in the last 18 minutes right so they spend most of the movie the first i don't know hour and 20 minutes or so Building up and building up how dangerous this gang is and uh, how what their muscle is like and the fact that Max can't really compete anymore is like he's not the best, the best of the best of the best anymore. Now they've got all these tricks like NOS and crazy weapons and these bolt guns and shit that that can keep up with him. Um, and so from the last movie, it feels like a huge, a huge growth in yeah. terms of, of what can happen. Um but uh, but the buildup, the dramatic buildup they spend the movie doing means that in a vacuum, yeah, like take a eight, the last, whatever, 13 or 18 minutes of this movie and compare it to the best 13 or 18 minutes of Fury Road. And you're going to be like, well, Fury Road is more impressive. But that's also because Fury Road is a singular fucking movie and no movie on that budget puts as much yeah. practical practical <coughs> effects. Yeah, as I get Fury it. I get it. It's, it is not like a criticism. It's not a oh, this looks stupid compared to Fury Road. It's still incredibly impressive, incredibly thrilling. Again, still a great movie, but this was the first time that I'd seen it since Fury Road, and my memory of the sequence didn't quite live up to the reality of watching it. Um, But, yeah, it is. um, And also something that was spoiler that you call out on our Fury Road episode, Peter, is, like, you do realize a lot more that like this is the road warrior that shit is taking place on roads where <laughs> uh it in some ways feels more 
I don't know, like less. I don't. I don't know the right way to put this. Like it. It feels less um, of a production. It feels less like awe inspiring. Where we talked a little on our Fury Road episode that like it feels like big ships on an ocean and they're trying to board it. And like the way that the the cars interact is more like uh, ships at sea than like people driving on roads. And this one felt a lot more grounded in reality, where it feels like someone on a car trying to jump onto another car and just in a way that like puts puts fury road in a different perspective for me as well when i when i just thought like oh yeah fury road is two hours of this the ending of road warrior and that's just not quite the case they really are working with different things in a way that surprised me having seen having not seen this movie in a while it, it, there's a sort of fantastical comic book quality to Fury Road because of how uniform the enemy armies are and how how much of a sort of expressionist painting it can feel like at times where like all the war boys look 95% the same and they all have sort of uniform cars and it's and you you can instantly visually tell who's on which side. Um, I watched this movie with uh, Molly, my wife, and she at one point got really confused about who was getting chased down by who. And I was like, well, the no, 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 that's the, obviously the good guys are in the white suits and the bad guys are in the sandy tan brown sometimes leather it's black it's a lot of leather the sandy bondage it's a lot of leather, gear. but it's not wall-to-wall s&m right there's a lot of dudes in just like brown coats <laughs> but it's a lot of leather and there's a lot of dune buggies up against dune buggies right whereas like the war boys you could tell like these muscle cars are the war boys these are whatever the ammo boys in this movie it's it's more realistic it's more of like an improvised gang you feel like it's like seven gangs all cobbled together and in a way that you can't really easily divide who came from where the way you can with fury road and the three groups that make up Immortan Joe's gang. Yeah, I also think like it, it sheds new light on the scale of the war rig in Fury Road, where in my head I'm like, yeah, it's like a semi. And then like you see the semi in this movie and you're like, oh, it's no, it's a war rig. <laughs> <laughs> like they're different. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, yeah, uh, but we're kind of already getting into the meat of this movie. Um I say that we we get into it. You guys ready to talk about meh 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 the road of Wario? Peter, you are alternate taglines. Um, alternate taglines. Uh, like aliens, but the little kid isn't useless. Wow, harsh. <laughs> Who doesn't like Newt? <laughs> this movie made me. Her just whole like family Newt. died. I liked. I liked Newt. Her until, whole family like, died, Peter. Do you think the Feral Kid's uh, family is doing all right? I think the Feral Kid killed. His family. <laughs> Killed and ate him, sharpened yeah. his teeth on their bones. He's like, let me just throw this boomerang around. <laughs> no, he's more like... <laughs> I'm only <laughs> narrating him as the old narrator who frames the story for some stupid reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm a little uh, baby. 
<laughs> if you okay, so there's a theory, and it's a it, 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 there's a theory that Lynn, don't go there. It's, that, it's so bad. Don't uh, go there. Nope. It's, it's the same Max in all the movies. <laughs> Oh yeah, it is the well. It is the same Max yeah. in all the movies. It's just that you know, Max looks so much younger in the new one. Yeah. So, uh, but he looks about the same they... age as Mel Gibson did when he made the movie. Whoa, whoa, whoa! So, who? He who shall not who? be named. This is this movie. These movies are a documentary about a character named Max Rockatansky. Yeah, yes, and I won't hear any of it. Uh, yeah, it's it's all the same character. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, Peter. <laughs> um, We've already done the. I don't. I do, thing. I deleted it all out of last week. I didn't want to hear our own theory, <laughs> <laughs> or or even us like angrily talking about dumb fan theories about oh toe cutters and Morton Joe. It was twenty minutes. I cut it all out. I don't want to do it. <laughs> um, it's all Mad Max. He just goes on different adventures. What's All I was trying to say is uh, is my wife, whose brain is not poisoned by dumb internet fan theories and is not involved with any of this shit, she was like, oh, do people think that those are the same person? She called the dumb theory out as a dumb theory as she was coming Wait, up. Wait, who does she think are the same people? Feral Child and uh, Max in the fourth movie. Oh. I, I should say that considering Max is, Max is uh, the same actor because it's the same person the same. in these movies or documentaries. Yeah, your your wife's brain might not be poisoned by the internet, but she is married to you, so there's still poisoning that's going on. <laughs> the poisoning is coming from yeah. inside the house. I have to admit, yeah. the first time I saw Mad Max 2, I wasn't sure if the feral child was a boy or a girl, or a, if the feral child was indeed a boy that could grow up to be Max. I, the, had, the I whole, had no idea in middle school. I was totally confused. The whole thing, it, like, look. This it's gender is boomerang. I was actually yeah, it goes both ways. Um, <laughs> goes out, comes back. <laughs> the feral child's pronouns are. <laughs> uh, but the feral child is not a gay ally. I will say. No. Wow. I don't know. If, I don't know if anyone in this movie is a gay ally. To be honest, I I, I think I don't know. Assless chaps. I mean. Was, yeah, Lord Humongous seems like a gay ally. I'm not gonna lie. It's just it's very hard to get a read. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not ready to say Lord Humongous is not an ally, <laughs> or he is. But like he's he's got some even as an ally. Like there's a lot of people who are bad people who are allies, and like you don't need to claim them necessarily. Is what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Like, I'm sure Harvey Keitel was like, I'm an ally, but like, uh, when it came to gay rights, but we don't need to talk about his allyship because he's Lord Humongous. Mm-hmm. Oof. Uh, hey, uh, Aaron, I'm gonna do, do, wanna, a, I'm gonna uh, do, do you want to recap the road? <clears throat> Warrior, yeah. aka Mad Max 2, the Road Warrior, aka just Mad Max 2. Yeah, so in Australia, it's just called Mad Max 2. Uh, in the rest, uh, so even though Mad Max is one of the most profitable movies ever made at the time of its release, one of those places where it wasn't so profitable was a little country called the old United States of America. And so people were like, no one's going to know what Mad Max 2 means. 
<laughs> I guess in the seventies, even like context clues were were not going to work. Like you'd think if you saw Mad Max two and you weren't familiar with Mad Max, you would go, "Oh, this is probably a sequel to something." <laughs> I think the movie is weird enough and unique enough, and uh, and and yes, it has like the little prologue that explains the universe, but. Um, I think that you could watch the movie and be like, I am missing something if, if you saw it as Mad Max 2. If you saw it as just the Road Warrior, you would just be like, oh, well, I th- this is all I've got. Uh, the, the clues that are in front of me. Yeah. I, I I mean, a lot of people, the first one they saw is the Road Warrior, right? And they weren't missing a beat. Yeah, so people. The, the only And the, the only other change besides the title in the United States is – uh, as Peter and I were researching before the show, so kind of like they redubbed Mad Max initially because they thought no one's going to understand these Australian accents, which nowadays they don't f- – that tells you how like little Australian cinema had, had gone into the United States. Like they do not seem hard to understand at all when you watch Mad Max with the original voices now. Uh, but in the Road Warrior, while they didn't redub all the actors like they had for Mad Max, they were worried that the opening narration was a little bit too Australian, so they redubbed it with like an American accent for the initial release. Um, we were trying to find a clip of what that sounds like, but uh, if you don't know, the the actual narration is like, "Hello, I'm an old man in Australia," and we assume the new one's like, "Hey guys, so war happened, woo." Um, <laughs> Just someone super enthusiastic, but clear and easy to understand. Uh, I did forget. So I the, this does start with an opening narration that kind of sets up the world that uh, basically Russia and the United States had a nuclear war. And it caused destruction. And now there's people roaming the wasteland. I had forgot its very explicit connection to Mad Max. We had talked last week that I think we kind of remembered this movie as just picking up with Mad Max as the Road Warrior. But this this shows scenes very specifically from Mad Max about his wife and his son being killed and kind of um, – Really sets up that connection. And something else I didn't really notice before, his legs in a brace the entire movie from the shotgun blast he took to the knee in um, in Mad Max. So the- There's a cute little moment where they oil up his leg before he goes on a big journey. Yeah. He's so in the trenches the- squeaking. That, that persists into number three, too, I think. Yeah, these are closer, even though it is like a whole new adventure and it's following up with a world that's gone down more and more of an apocalyptic wasteland route. Um, there was more connection between Mad Max and the Road Warrior than I remembered. But anyways, it starts with Max and he is being chased by a couple bandits on motorcycles for a, a, a very fun, kinetic opening action sequence. He ends up discovering kind of a burnt out semi and uh, tries to get some gas because he's running out of gas. Because that's th- let me tell you something about gas in the apocalyptic wasteland. It's basically like gold because uh, you need it to drive your cars, your dune buggies, your semi trucks, your helicopters. And what you don't have in an apocalyptic wasteland is gas stations. Did you guys know this? You heard about this? <laughs> <laughs> Your ideas interest me. You hear about this in the news? You hear about this in the news? Yeah, you know about there's this. No, there's no gas stations. There's no coming. gas stations in the apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> Can we just do a podcast where we imagine what Jay Leno, Jay Leno would say to any movie that he saw? <laughs> 
hear what this? There's a piano, and uh, Harvey Keitel plays a Maori guy. Ah, <laughs> uh, you see, you see, that's uh, Lord Humongous. He's kind of a big guy. One, <laughs> jeez, wonder where I Lord got Humongous. Wonder where he got that name from, and then like Kevin's like, because <laughs> he's big. <laughs> and Jay's like, what's his name, Kevin? I don't remember what this band leader's name was. Because who fucking watched Jay Leno? Yeah, here, here Clearly conf- you confession. Too. We are now so many years removed from Jay Leno that I only know Jay Leno from impressions <clears throat> of Jay Leno. You heard this? You heard about this? No you gas about this? You heard this? Uh, yeah, so he gets some gas. Puts him in little bowls, but he needs more gas. He then stops by another place. Australians hate walking. They hate walking. He stops by another place to get some gas, and it's a trap. He kills the snake, but then a a character known as the gyro captain um, is like, ha, you fell into my – you're pretty quick. You killed that snake. My snake trap. Snake trap never fails me, but this time it failed me, but I still got the drop on you. But, uh, of course, Mad Max – too clever then gets the redrop on him with his dog and in order and to save his life the gyro captain says i know about this tanker you can have all the gas you want you just gotta break in so they camp out over this like fort which again is was way more clump was way more flimsy than it was in my memory i like pictured a fort of some sort, mm-hmm. as opposed to like some barbed wire fence, uh, some chicken, some chicken wire, <laughs> keeping people out with a school bus. But uh, yeah, so there's this just tank of gas. They don't have a semi. They don't have a way to transport it. And then this like uh, group of nomads who have kind of banded around this gasoline as a way to figure out how to how to utilize this to get two thousand miles away to a beach so they can live out. Do you their think lives. that nomads are kind of the opposite of Mad Max? Yeah, because they're nomad. <laughs> mad Max, yay mad. He's a he's a yay mad, which is why they con- the, why they have so much conflict, Peter, because they're no mads and he's a yes mad. <laughs> why why is this this a uh, post apocalyptic uh, gas guzzling wasteland so divisive? You yeah, know? that's because he's hanging out with people that are uh, no mad minimums, and he's a yes mad <laughs> Max. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have to. I, I I do have to make this serious for a second. Sure, make it. And serious. that's that. That it is. It is a true fact that the uh, community, the uh, the the uh, gas community, is um, different from Max in many ways. Like they're they're like trying to form a community, trying to create some sort of semblance of the old world. And Max is actually, in terms of like philosophy and the way he acts and, and his style, even because he's into leather too. He's a leather daddy as well. Um, he's way closer to fucking the Raiders. Yeah. And Lord Humongous's camp. So that's what makes the sort of interesting friction in the movie is that like, Max could just as easily be the guy taking apart this this camp as uh as the guy saving it. Yeah, he's I mean he he just I think one of the interesting things about I know Peter has said that Max just loves the road now and he's like addicted to the road. I do think what's interesting is that like um in if if you like look at these as like a trilogy or even like a, a somewhat of a continuing story from like a character motivation perspective. I, this is like Max wandering the desert, wandering the wasteland, and just knowing like I just need more gas, but I don't have a place to go. 
and then somehow I think finds his like purpose, not joining any of these groups necessarily, but um, delivering people into some sort of uh, version of paradise that he has no intention of like going to himself. In some ways, he's like ferrying people to heaven while like continuing to remain in his own self-imposed purgatory. Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of what he does the next two movies as well, right? Like, he reluctantly always, he doesn't, like, become a true hero, but he is like, I'm going to stick up for you in a way that I'm able to because I don't care about anything and I don't have anything to lose. I, I would say in Thunderdome, he becomes the reluctant hero. I think in Mad Max 2, why do I keep saying that? Road Warrior. He is an anti-hero. Like, I don't think he actually wants to save anyone. He su- he would have robbed them of their fuel if he had the, well, but the strength kind and the of power. Though, but like, do you, well, I, guess, I don't know. Like, Are you going to finish your so, recap or can we, we cut to the end? Do you think? Yeah, no, hold on. So so actually, to like, he does see like that some nomads who are going out to spy on, on Humongous's gang. Um, like, one of them gets raped. One of them gets almost killed. Like, he does seem like... Even though I think he talks like, a, I'm just here for the gas, he does seem like when he's watching through the telescope, like, this sucks. I don't like watching it. This is a bad thing that's happening. Even if he's trying to insulate himself from, like, feelings because he wants to remain a shell of a man because the last time he cared about people, they were t- horribly murdered. So, anyways, so he does end up taking the injured man back to, uh, we'll call it school bus land. And he's uh, – they chain him to – they're like, fuck him. He's wearing leather. We're going to chain him to this wall. Meanwhile, Lord Humongous comes up with his full crew and is like, just walk away. Give me – I kind of got to – I'm losing my voice a little, so I can't just do – Just walk away. Just walk away. Uh, gives him a really bad offer, which is – leave you Scottish there? Just walk, just walk, just walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> we named a dog Indiana. <laughs> Son, the floor's on fire. Um, but uh, yeah, it's exactly what you, Lord Humongous sounds like. Perfect impression. Uh, but anyways, he gives him a really bad offer of leave your weapons, leave your fort, and leave your gas, and I don't know, go die in the wasteland. But he is scary, and so everyone's like, I don't know, should we do that? Maybe. Um, <laughs> And meanwhile, he seems reasonable. Like, yeah, <laughs> his pants have no asses. <laughs> uh, yeah, he seems super comfortable with himself. Is he an ally? That's what they were debating. <laughs> That'd be awesome if in the background you're just hearing them yell, and you're like, "That seems a little homophobic to make fun of the pants." To even bring up the pants seems homophobic. <laughs> it, it kind of feels like we might have a dude situation where they're using. Uh, a perceived uh, anti-LGBTQ bias to to paint the bad guys in a negative light. Do you think that's what's happening here? Or do you think he just is very comfortable with himself? That's uh, that's my favorite debate that happens directly in the movie. Um, but anyways, so Max is like, I got, I have, I have another, I have another offer for you. I found. Like, a- I could be your leather daddy. I found a semi that you could transport the tanker. All I want is as much gas as I can carry. Get the fuck out of here. And they're like, sure, let's do that. Um, so he goes and he gets the tanker and he gets the gyro captain uh, back. with. The, he's like, look, my one of my little favorite moments, he's like, no, I'm eating these snakes. I raised them when he finds all his dead snakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I deserve them. But anyways, so they come back. Uh, but like 
Not a great plan of how to get the, the semi-truck back, because he just, like, goes through everyone, gets tires shot, shot out, hurts himself, all these things. Um, but then he's like, I'm not helping. I'm leaving. He goes in his car. His car immediately gets destroyed. He does not get far at all. Um, he gets left for dad, and then he comes back and he goes, never mind. I'm going to drive the tanker. Uh, <laughs> because why not at that point? Um so yeah, he drives the tanker. Uh, there's this 20-minute wonderful action sequence where they're trying to defend the tanker. A lot of characters that don't literally don't have names, but we've come to know a little bit, die. Um, at the end, he crashes the tanker, finds out there's sand in it, and that um, he was actually a decoy for all of the gas, which they'd emptied into all their other like barrels and other cars. And they say, great, we defeated Lord Humongous. Everyone's dead. We're going to go to the beach. And he's like, I'm going to stay right here on the side of the road. <laughs> I'm going to pose for quite a while. Get your shot. <laughs> uh, and then the feral kid is framing all this up for some dumb reason. He's like, that was a good guy. <laughs> like that. The last time I like saw that the road I, I grew up. I grew up. I never saw him again, but totally, totally solid dude. <laughs> you remember that guy we fucked over? <laughs> you want a real, you want a real good bro? Let me tell you about this guy. <laughs> Guy's a solid bro. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and that's why the name of this movie is The Solid Bro. Uh, <laughs> so so this, the deleted scene from this movie, by adding that narration, the deleted scene from this movie is that the feral kid had to somehow get back to the other group, right? Because the feral kid survives. He's with Max. He, he, um, he is supposed to go with the leader of the pack who like basically comes in just to save the feral kid, but he gets murdered, uh, via trident. Um, he gets tridented and, uh, so presumably someone had to come pick the kid up or something. And there had to be an awkward, like, uh, uh, sorry about the sand thing, mate. Uh, uh, it was pretty cool though. The gyro captain, clearly, because he oh, he lands he lands there, and then he goes yeah. on to be the leader of the nomads. Who? But isn't the isn't his his shit all fucked up? It like barely drives. Yeah, but he's driving the bus at the end, and the feral kid's in there. Oh, I know, I know. The gyro captain gets there. The feral kid gets there. I'm implying that the other group at some point had to make contact with them, and it was probably pretty awkward. So similar to to um, Hugh Keys Burn or uh, Hugh Keys Toe Cutter and Morton Show. Similar to Toe Cutter, <laughs> uh, the actor who played Toe Cutter uh, in the documentary Mad Max. Um, <laughs> how do I avoid doing fan theories now that I've said it's a documentary? <laughs> um, <laughs> the the actor who plays Toe Cutter also plays uh, a Morton Joe. Um, similar to that, uh, George Miller just sometimes likes working with the same cast, yeah, which is something that, that which is something that like uh, film people freak out about, like Wes Anderson working with the same people over and over again, and Jason Schwartzman always being part of the gang and um, and that sort of stuff. Uh, but like in theater, that's like how how the world works also like, that's a really good point directors are like i bring back the same people all the fucking time yeah. like yeah that's there's no wild conspiracy theories that like owen wilson is the same character in the royal tenabons that he is in bottle rocket <laughs> like, <laughs> like no he grew up met this family started writing all these books about custer like it happened <laughs> uh owen wilson then after the, the events the royal tenenbaum to atone 
known for the murder of the dog, uh, decided to become a groundhog or whatever he is in him, Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> yeah. And then he met a couple friends named you and me, and he moved in with Dupree. <laughs> It's all the best connected. Wes Anderson movie. You, me, and Dupree. <laughs> yeah, but it's still the same. Are you saying it's not the same person? He look, they look the exact same. Yeah, you're right. I it's don't understand person. acting. All movies are documentaries to me. Uh, which is what it's like watching a movie with a five-year-old, Bill, as you can attest. Yep. Like, trying to explain like that they're not the same person is very difficult if they recognize an actor. Yes. It's awesome, actually. And kids are just looking for pattern recognition, right? They're just like, I've seen this face before. This face is a good person. I've seen this face before. This person throws Indiana Jones off buildings. Like, I think in Maya's headcanon, the entire family from Old Yeller, after they killed their dog, left their dad and then went on a ship, but not with a new dad, because it's the same two kids and the same mom, but the dad's different. Well, that makes sense. Like, look, think, you-, you were gone dad we had to shoot this dog we're gonna go with pirates now are you happy dad you need to start putting her fan theories on the internet as real because that makes a ton of sense yeah. her, her fan theories are just like yeah. this garbage her, 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 her fan theories are just all actors of the same characters <laughs> in all movies they're in. uh so she's reached the level of a 25 year old writer <laughs> Oh, no, I think she's a little beyond that, Peter. <laughs> she at least gets First, she's not on Reddit, so that's one one smarter move than the Redditors. Speaking of headcanon, do you think in Mad Max 5 that the villain would be a dude who has, like, a blunderbuss for a mouth? <laughs> sure. <laughs> It'll be known as headcanon. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You're going to keep trying to chase that nomad joke. It's not going to... Much like the chase sequence, it's going to end with everything spilling out all over the road. <laughs> uh, where, do, where the fuck do we begin? So, so actually, I want to start a little more with yeah. the Fury Road thing. So I don't. I will say everyone keeps talking about like <laughs> there. there is a large contingent of Fury Road fans who are like, I would have liked to see Mel Gibson in Fury Road. I couldn't help, as I was watching this movie, I couldn't help but appreciate, so soon after I just rewatched Fury Road, I couldn't help but appreciate how much better Tom Hardy is playing this character than Mel Gibson. Like, there's so many sequences. I don't know. There's so many sequences of this movie, like when he is in the camp and getting angry at him and then reluctantly agreeing that I would have so much rather have seen Tom Hardy, not just because Mel Gibson is toxic and i don't like seeing him in general but like how much more i would have rather seen like tom hardy's like kind of crazed like boyish good looks i'm gonna do no well just kind of like i'm gonna do this you do like that kind of way that he like barely gets into stuff more than like mel gibson's somewhat sarcastic aloof annoyance i i don't know man i think i think between especially we'll get into this next week um Tom Hardy uh, is amazing in Fury Road, don't get me wrong, but he sort of keeps his cool and he's always kind of sexy. Uh, and he, he he's not as um, 
there are scenes where like the scene where he's trying to break the the the, the chain um to free himself where he like feels a little bit animalistic or the scene where he's trying to uh get uh the the brides to take the mask off him where he's a little animalistic but he's like a fucking james dean motherfucker in a lot mm. of the movie like he's really cool um in, in, in I love the I love the Australian weirdness that only Mel Gibson can bring a true psychopath <laughs> like a true a true fucking like wild hair up the ass like wild man uh, and I'm not saying that as a compliment I'm saying that as a man who should be detained yeah I um, I, I mean like his, his sort of weirdness and that sort of like true unpredictable uh, unpredictability and the fact that when you see Mel Gibson's eyes you're like I am staring into the eyes of an insane person uh <clears throat> means that like you're just getting a different kind of performance and that's fine but they're not playing i don't think there's a, they're playing the same character to the in the, to the same sense you could be like oh i prefer uh i prefer daniel craig to timothy dalton or something yeah um i i don't think i don't think that tom hardy would have been better in mad max and i i my guess is that i don't think that'll be the case for beyond thunderdome i just think there's something about the minimalism of this performance specifically that would have been benefited from tom hardy's real like minimalistic performance in fury road so if it had been tom hardy i might have agreed with you that he's a reluctant hero but my theory that he's more of an anti-hero like when did he actually decide that okay doing something good for them was okay before or after the sand tipped out because if you believe he didn't know the sand was in there and he did it because he had nothing else no other options but to try and join them in their quest to leave then he didn't do anything good out of the goodness of his heart he's just a psychopath like peter said right tom hardy comes off as like a nice guy you know or a pretty guy either one but i would like him a hell of a lot all more pretty than guys I like. are nice right but I would like him a hell of a lot more than I liked Max and Road Warrior. And I think that'd be a problem because so, I don't I don't want to like him. He's the anti-hero. Yeah. I mean, he he's just angry and he's going to take his anger out the entire movie. He's this. Yeah, you're right. I, I think Bill and I are especially attracted to the Snake Plissken type. And uh, I think he's a total Snake Plissken type in uh, this movie in particular. Uh, Max, uh, Mad Max, it's a straight up revenge movie, uh, a pretty, pretty classically structured revenge movie as well, um, though it, he doesn't start necessarily as an innocent. He starts off like a member of uh, this like, uh, you know, anti-gang cop unit. Um but uh, in this one, he's on the road, he's out in the wild, and he gets cornered in a situation where, like, he basically, like, gets pushed. In, from my perspective, I interpret his actions in the third act uh, very differently from the way I interpret uh, Max in Fury Road, which is um, what happens right before Max changes his tune. He takes the car out on the road, he gets his fucking V8 interceptor, the last of the V8 interceptors, um, wiped out. By the do- a dune buggy with some nos and an exhaust pipe, uh, his dog gets murdered, um, and then he's like, he goes back and he's like, I want to ride the rig. And at that point, he's like, it, it, for, there's a couple ways to interpret it, but a lot of my interpretations all align, which is a, uh, he's addicted to the road. He wants to get fucking back on the road and prove his worth on the road against these assholes. Two, he knows he's going to be able to draw them out and get his revenge. And so there's a couple interpretations there for why Max acts the way he does in this movie. And I think Bill and I are maybe on one side and Aaron's on the other side. Aaron, how do you interpret how do you interpret 
Max's actions in this because I I think sort of I I watched this after I watched Road Warrior right after I watched Fury Road and I was like oh Max takes up the the uh, the the uh, call to action of the hero the the classic you know reluctant hero reluctant hero takes up his call to action but at this I'm like oh no I see now after watching it right after Mad Max I'm like no he's doing this for vengeance for his dog and his car. And in a sense, sort of his, and also in a sense, sort of his, uh, his wife and child. So I think that's right, but I don't, I guess where I take a little bit of issue is that like, I think this is the movie where he, like, I agree. Like when he's like, yeah, I, we had a deal. I did this for myself. Give me the gas. I'm leaving. And then he gets fucked up. Uh, and he comes back and he's like, okay, they killed my dog. My car's broken. Uh, give me the keys. Uh, shut up and drive. I'm Rihanna. Um, <laughs> he, he's, uh, but I do think through the process of seeing other people die and like trying his best to save the kid and to give them something. And then at the end, when he kind of sees them off, I do think in some way he finds a purpose. I, and I think that that goes to the, the other two movies as well. So I don't disagree with you. Where I do kind of disagree is that, like, I never take him as a, like, a true madman, right? Like, I don't believe that he's going to ever kill Gyrocopter Guy, right? Like, I don't, like, I, I don't believe that he... The gun was never loaded when he had, when, he, when the scene happens with the dog. But yeah... He knew that he knew the shells weren't in there yeah. at all when he let the dog have essentially contr- visibly control over a man's life. Yeah, and he like does seem visibly pained when he sees innocent people getting hurt. So in some ways, it I don't. It's and we saw him being kind of a loving, caring father and like a person full of like uh, friendship to give. So like my interpretation is that he's one of those people who has suffered an enormous loss. And while he's generally a good person uh, and someone who like sees right from wrong and wants to help those that um, can't help themselves, he's like lived in the wasteland too long and suffered such personal damage and personal loss that he constantly has to remind himself to be like, you know, oh, no, I can't care about this. Like, I need to be in this for myself. That's the only way it can work in this in this new uh, in this new reality that I live in. So as such, like he seems selfish, but I don't think he like really feels like a true antihero at at any point, like both in the sense that he's not like, sure, I'm going to save you, but I'm going to kill some innocents in the process or like, I don't care about anyone but myself. I will put a bullet in my in your head, even if you're a child, even if you've done nothing wrong. Like, I don't I don't see him as a threat to anyone who isn't threatening him directly. But I but I think that's sort of a I think we're talking about the exact same thing. Sure. Now. It's just we have a differing definition of what an antihero is like, because from my perspective, it's Snake Plissken one where it's like. Um, but Snake Plissken, you believe he would kill he's innocent a fundamentally people. Immoral per- he's a fundamentally immoral person who uh, – he's a fundamentally a- or amoral person, immoral yeah. or amoral, who uh, ends up becoming in the context of the story a hero because he's 
boxed in enough that yeah. his his moral code or his lack of a moral code happens to align with that of the hero. So I, I associate Snake Plissken with that. I associate with a man with no name. Actually, a lot of post-Leone um, sort of Django-esque figures are anti-heroes because like they don't actually care that much. They just they just want the money. Um, like uh, uh, the witch, the Witcher from the Witcher stuff. But I, I agree with you that Snake Plissken is the definition of anti-hero, where he he's not going to go out of his way to like torture and murder innocent people. But if he's standing, like he will kill people to accomplish his goal or to save himself. Like you know, you can picture like. Snake Plissken in this movie where at the end he saves the tanker truck, but then also when he finds out they duped him, blows it up at the end and goes, it looks like everything's equal now. Like, good luck out there. Like, that's the anti-hero. That's the Snake Plissken type character where even the good guys aren't, the quote unquote good guys aren't necessarily exempt from his version of justice. uh, Which is not how I would view Mad Max. But, But did Max know there was sand in the tanker? No. I don't think so. so, so, not, so until, what, not until the end, because he has that little moment where he smiles. He's like, they fucking put right. that so on. So he, he had no recourse. He, he he couldn't demonstrate it, right? So when they first capture him and he's like, give me, you know, I'll get you a semi if you give me a take of gas, right? He's bargaining for his life. If they hadn't accepted that deal, he would have killed someone. Well, I also don't think Snake Plissken would have gone back. <laughs> like I don't think he would have honored his like I don't like, well, like I, you think I, he would have taken the semi and left because he didn't probably have enough fuel in the semi to go anywhere. You think he would have taken the Gulf Stream? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuel up the fuel up the G five. We'll be out of here in a jiff. I mean, like I I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think that I think that Mad Max is, and we see this in the first movie, a fundamentally good moral person who has had such extreme taken out of it that he thinks he has that he decides he has to be in it for himself, but still has that fundamentally good underpinning that eventually kind of comes out when pushed to the test. Maybe not so much in this movie, but like he you're right, Peter. Like when he finds out he's been used as bait, he he smiles and kind of respects it and wishes everyone like, good trip, I'm not going with you. I don't think Snake Snake Plissken would have taken well, it that way or other anti-heroes he, he, like, he becomes use me as bait that's what i'm saying by the m- third movie he's the reluctant hero right i i think he i do think this is a stepping stone to that hero but i don't think movie. he's an anti-hero but he did it on accident i don't think he purposefully was a hero in this movie i would agree with you but i don't think he's an anti-hero i think he's just he's in it for himself. All right. So really, which, yeah, I think so, so I guess we're, we're debating the definition of anti-hero, which we should probably a little bit, yeah, yeah, because uh, the, the, kind of the, the term anti-hero is somewhat useful for anybody that you would that would fall out of the traditional sort of hero arc, um, but is not a villain uh, and is not also like a a bystander. They're an active protagonist who is changing the events of the story, but doesn't seem to. Um, be uh, performing the actions of the story out of a sense of goodwill. And, and I think that I think that matches what an antihero is, whether or not we agree on it. Like I was I was even saying my definition is. I, I think that's. Yeah, but I, I think I think your I think your definition is immoral people. I think it's I think your perfect. definition is right. Like Aaron's immorality, wrong. I think is right. We should talk more about assless chaps. Uh, we should, yeah, we should talk about, about it. But chaps. it does sort of. <laughs> we'll talk about it more next week, but it does sort of lead us towards. I, I, I'm with Bill on this one uh, as well because, like, I think that uh, the first movie he starts off as like sort of an innocent, and by the end of the movie he's 
a rage monster out on the highway, a fucking uh, Nicolas Cage ghostwriter. Um, he's he's a man who has a, a, a demonic attachment to the road and to forward momentum. And in a sense, he's hiding that. from no. his he's hiding from his past and his pain uh, by pushing forward. Uh, focusing on survival, not allowing himself a moment's reflection or a moment's connection really with people. Like he has li- like he he gives the music box to the feral kid in this and then he um, and then he uh, it, uh, quickly abandons the feral kid. Like he literally uses the music box to get the feral kid to get out of his fucking car when it's time to go. And the feral kid is smiling at him and being cute. And like the feral kid and him are a good team. Like this isn't this kid is not yeah. dead weight the way like Newt from Aliens is. Like he he's a useful motherfucker. <laughs> he literally helps he he literally helps finish the movie. He helps kill Wes. Um, so so like that that moment you can tell he is just. It's not even about use for him. It's it, it's it's about the, the idea that community threatens him because if he gets attached to anybody, uh, that's somebody else that he can disappoint, someone else that he can lose. Um, and uh, the, the 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 in the third movie, um, and I don't, <clears throat> we'll, we'll get into it more next week. But the third movie, I think that's even more of a character evolution. So while these movies, I, I've been talking about um, them all being kind of. Uh, uh, discrete units there is like a pretty a pretty wonderful character arc yeah from an innocent man to a deeply hurt man who can only see the road to a man that starts to reach out for a sense of community but that gets slapped on the wrist when he actually makes a sacrifice for them to what he is in thunderdome which is like somebody who's like almost taking on a, a reluctant fatherly role again yeah i mean i later yeah, I, I think um, – I just don't think that he necessarily has the amorality that you kind of described with Snake Plissken. I think he's more just um, – like I said, not willing – he wants to be a loner. Well, he's more of a loner than an antihero. I get it's a little bit semantics. But yeah, let's talk about some butts. Let's talk about some chaps. I want to talk about let's asses. Talk about chaps. I really do. Let's Ass talk about list. it. Chaps. So, so apparently where they shot this movie was uh, New South Wales was super about. cold. <laughs> That's great. Um, and so, so <laughs> that's why Lord to, Humongous like, was so angry. <laughs> and that's why, yeah. Actually, the movie started off a movie about a bunch of desert dwellers just getting along. It was basically like a Burning Man situation. Uh, but as as production continued, <laughs> the people that got to wear coats uh, slowly stripped themselves, slowly pushed themselves away from those who had to wear the assless chaps and formed into two uh, discreet packs that had to go to war with one another. And Max is the person who uh, respected... Uh, having a cold mother nature had a warm coat sort of ran between the two lines and had to pick his cause i like it yeah i really i really really like uh just the concept that like so society broke down a few years ago and like it doesn't take too long for some guy to be like well i'm the biggest (laughs) so i'm a i'm a lord now my name is Humongous. I'm going to wear what I want. And everyone's uh, bows down to me now. I'm in charge of everyone. And like, just like the, like Lord Humongous was probably named like Dave. And he worked like, maybe he was like a trainer at a gym. Yeah. Maybe he worked a at a, like trainer. a Dairy Queen. <laughs> yeah. This guy worked at Played Against Sports. And that's where he got the hockey mask. And like, he is like, he saw society crumble and he's like, all right, well. 
I'm going to really embrace the new order. I'm Lord Humongous now. <laughs> and there probably was, a, there was probably like, you know, uh, King Gigantor, a <laughs> bunch of other ones that like were also like, I'm big too. I can't be Skeletor. I'm going to control the Wasteland Army. And they all, like, eventually Lord Humongous was successful. Dave over in accounting, who worked out a little bit too much on his lunch break, is like, <laughs> he embraced the change. Yeah, I'm going to strap him to the front of my car and make him yell. So, I, yeah. I, I can go two directions. One, I want to revisit the fact that how far things can go in a few years post-apocalypse, because yeah. that's an amazing way to take this. But the first is, am I alone in that when I watched this in middle school, I'd never seen anything like it. Like, to think about the kind of en enemy tribes like dressing up in bondage for me i hadn't seen a lot of movies that had that i hadn't seen like i don't know it was a complete different way to think about what you know kind of the bad guys in the movie could look like so i guess this movie has been special for me for a long time because it really was different um but then you know as i got more and more into the post-apocalyptic or pre-apocalypse type movies like you see in more and more of this kind of genre of dress and like style but i'd never seen anything like it before it, it does feel Lone like it's Warrior. almost exclusively taken from this movie right right yeah, so so for me that's why one of the reasons you think about fury road yes it's amazing right but it feels – it wasn't as shocking to me. It's really well done and maybe it's more exciting with the budget and the score and so on and so forth. But Mad Max 2 was completely new to me. I mean, I think that's why for me, I you know, when I pick between the two, this was like really impactful and something I'll, you know, I'll always remember because it, it was different. Like it was completely different in the way it kind of portrayed the groups. Yeah, and it was – it's so influential that like – um, yes, we had had post-apocalyptic stories before. The movie is actually directly inspired by uh, a boy and his dog, um, which is. So I'd uh, read the book. I didn't know. Was there a movie? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Huh. So I hadn't seen that first. Um, so am I like? So I'm the only one who thought that when I saw this. No, 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 no. Um, a boy and his dog is is somewhat reserved in terms of compared to Road Warrior. A boy and a dog is this is pretty in line with on the beach another sort of a uh, nuclear age. Um, sort of mournful, sad, or, or Threads. Um, Threads is a British TV movie, one of the most crazy, depressing, horrifying, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Um, a movie about a nuclear apocalypse. And all of those are sort of, um, I don't want to say stayed, but they're somewhat sober in their approach. They're not about the the, the wild uh, extremities of man sort of becoming the core of man. You're right. Road Warrior completely rewrote what the culture was all about um, because the original Mad Max sort of fit within a milieu, which is this like death wish or warrior style movie about like all right these these crazy gangs can be pretty crazy but the cops will step on them road warrior is like all of society are crazy marauders who are just trying to pull one over on each other and they have crazy car setups like even the good guys have insane cage cars and even our hero has this weird sort of like a uh, shoulder pad leather jacket that's customized and he's got the fingers cut off his leather glove so he can pull he can pull uh, shotgun shells faster like that that sort of like um basically taking punk and gay culture 
and I should say punk and sort of outsider sexual culture because it's not just gay culture; it's it's S and M culture as well. Yeah. But sort of outsider S and M, outsider gay culture and outsider uh, sexual culture in general, plus punk culture. I think a little bit of fe- are, I think probably blend. fetish culture is probably right. Oh you? Yeah. B- yeah, yeah, it's yeah. BDSM. Yeah, essentially, yes, essentially trying to... Any orientation uh, can tie up someone's butt cheeks, Peter. That's, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Anyone can be into assless chaps. Here, here's, here's a fun and fact. Idea, Everyone has a butt. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone deserves assless chaps. Yeah. Everyone's got a butt. Everyone doesn't, deserves to have... Doesn't matter your asses. creed, sexual orientation, gender, color. Everyone's got a butt. Everyone's got a butt. Um, and, and that sort of taking these these sort of, uh, I don't want to say periphery, but like even people that were pushed to the periphery by, you know, closeting and mainstream culture, ignoring them like LGBT folks uh, or punk folks, uh, counterculture movements uh, getting pushed to the periphery. All of a sudden, those those movements being society. Right. There's nobody walking around in a gray suit and a blue tie. Um that that sort of influence on what the future beholds for us that we're not going to have time to hold up these these weird standards of fashion these because in a boy in the boy and the dog uh, a boy and his dog uh, uh, movie even it's not inspired the fashion's not inspired from there the boy and the dog uh, movie even it's it's um it's pretty con- I want to say conservative dress it's like people who dress conservatively but dirtily <laughs> they wear like beaten in suits and beaten in khakis and shit and this it's like okay uh there's no longer time for us to pretend to be uh uh you know for us to pretend like these these like standards of dress are normal anymore you wear what you fucking find and what feels good and in a way it's like it, it road warrior changed how we looked at the future and how when societal norms break down, it's not just that we're going to be wearing the same shit we're going to be wearing or we're going to be talking the same way we were talking. We're actually going to like the entire culture is going to flip on its head in a way. And, uh, and, and that's, what's so wonderful about it because the movie is not necessarily damning of the sort of like, uh, punk culture and gay culture coming out and being like part of all the other cultures. It's just sort of like accepts it as a given. Yeah. Great point, Peter. Uh, one thing I do, I want to say that's bad is uh, Mohawk guy, Wes. Um, uh, obviously, he has a uh, a uh, gay lover. He's got a friend. New. He's got a buddy. He's got he, he's got a special friend. They're just as, work. They're just workout buddies. Peter. They're just work friends. <laughs> <laughs> he comes over to Thanksgiving. He's very nice. Right. They're close. I his, don't know. His bike's in the shop. That's why he's riding on the rear. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Don't Vernon tell Wells. your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Vernon Wells, who's essentially a cult figure for two movies now. Um, Vernon Wells is, is uh, plays Wes, the main villain in this, sort of Max's foil in a sense. Uh, he's also uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's foil in Commando. Um, two movies that have deeply homoerotic sort of villains. Um and Commando is way more homoerotic with the villain versus protagonist relationship because a lot of Arnold movies have that sort of like, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, in this, Wes, with the, character, the, the actor Vernon Wells said later, he's like, oh, uh, they're not gay. Uh, that's a character that I, I rescued uh, when they were younger and now is sort of a son, a son figure to me. 
<laughs> like the guy was so scared of being associated with being gay that he was like, "Oh, that that character that was clearly clearly coded as playing my twink. Uh, he he, there's no way he he could be my gay. That's just that's just Absolutely my not. I just keep my son on the the leash so I don't lose him during the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you ever been to like a crowded mall? I was gonna say you've been to Disney with a child, with a five year old, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> a leash doesn't sound crazy. <laughs> so I I referenced this earlier. What? Like, my only potential problem with it is the same – like, this is going back now almost four years ago. We talked about Dune. Like, where – that one's a little bit more explicit because we know what the source material was, which was pedophilia. And they changed it to, uh, oh, this guy's bad. He's gay. <laughs> like, which felt a lot more very blatantly homophobic as a way to, like, keep it a PG movie but also let you know the bad guys are no good. Because they're gay, and I feel like they're – like, this is a little harder to gauge, but I, I do sometimes watch this and go, is it trying to code, like, gay is scary a little bit here? Um, it's hard to – it's hard to tell. Um, I hope that's not the case. I, I mean, I'd like um, to think that I was as open-minded as I am now when I was in middle school, but I probably wasn't, um, and I didn't read it that way. Maybe that's you didn't, read I, it as, yeah. you didn't read it as gay as is scary. Correct. Yeah, I never really, I never really did either. Um, but like, you know, just just thinking about like how easy that was for like a lot of '80s movies. Like, oh, do you want to show someone as a villain? Make them gay. Gay is but scary. Um, yeah. So I, I don't and know. even just the fact that they they, they do uh, the gang does rape a woman um, in this, which is also sort of in keeping with the era. Um, this and, this uh, this you know, this is way worse than the one in Mad, in Mad Max, by the way. It is, it is. It has the full on Death Wish like uh, shirt being torn open yeah. um, deal, uh, which is you know it's regrettable. Like we we can we can pick up on. I think we can infer that these this awful Raider gang is not going to be respectful of women's rights. We don't need to. <laughs> we don't need or to just see generally that much be, of it. Yeah, it's it sucks. Like, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. We've had the conversation so much. It's not that it, like it's worth mentioning. It's worth calling out as something that sucks it also is like you know it's it's like society it's just in so many of these movies it just is regrettable and gross and that, that like if you really want to delve into this the the sexual politics of a post-apocalyptic raider gang that steals women and uses them as yet another resource um you could you could do it and actually you could do it in a in a like in a Mad Max friendly movie, for example. SJW pleasing way you you could do it um this is just not the way this this is just this is just it lines up with every 80s movie which is just like all right well uh we need something horrible to happen uh we could rape a woman right it, 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 how bad have things gotten rape like, yeah you can have something to say but this was also Game of Thrones did this stuff too where they were just like hey all these uh, horny, awful soldiers are left alone with women. What do you think is going to happen? And then they show it to us like a lot. And you're like, no, we, we get the implication. It's not a problem that the Road Warrior created. It's a problem that exists in the Road Warrior among, unfortunately, countless of examples. Go, go the extra mile to be like, okay, they're using women as resources the way that they would on, on the road. And, and like, Fury Road. Uh, at, yeah, yeah. And, and, and in Fury Road, there's the, the movie is 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 specifically like outlined by rape. Um, the the entire the entire movie is about rape, but it's a feminist movie. Um, well, 
by interpretations of some of the people that have worked on it, a lot of feminist writers. I'm not going to say for the movie. But anyways, my point here is this. The, 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 um, I was interpreting the um, outsider culture being sort of flatly depicted as just like part of the generalized culture, the punk culture, fetish culture, LGBT culture. I'm interpreting that from a 2020 mindset. Uh, at the time, I'm sure when I saw it when I was a kid, I was like, oh, the fact that they rape a woman, I was like, oh, they're just sexually threatening. They're threatening not just to, to uh, you know, my life, but also like my sexual need to not be violated. <laughs> yeah, in general, I thought they were scary just because, you know, they were they were bigger than me. <laughs> yeah. And we saw, I saw this movie when I was, whatever, 12. I should note real quickly. Maybe here, if it uh, was Squire is... Humongous, I wouldn't have been as scared. Lord <laughs> Humongous? But Lord, good God. Uh, Lord, good God. Um, I should note, this is a movie that uh, my dad, who is not uh, not super, super into movies, but this is a movie that he, like, specifically, like, bought for me on DVD. And he's like, this is, like, one of the good, it's, like, one of the awesome movies. And this is, like, a... Don't show your excellent... mom. <laughs> this is an excellent dad movie. I think he gave me like this and Terminator 2 on the same day. Yeah. Like, uh, this is just, just like an excellent dad movie. Um, like the sort of movie that you're just like, this is, he's like, this is what the movies that I, I like wish I had grown up with. Here you go. Uh, what's this third DVD dad field of dreams? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want you to feel really bad about all the times you've been a dick to me. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. He did give me field of dreams. <laughs> I just realized it wasn't that same day, but it was, it was within a year. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a perfect gift for a 13 year old boy. Like maybe spend some time with me. I'll be dead soon. <laughs> Christ. Uh, you mentioned the scene. I want to call it out a little more where, uh, the funniest scene in the movie where uh, he kidnaps the, or he takes the gyro captain with him, puts him in the car, and has the dog banning the shotgun in his face. Um, it's the best scene in any movie. It's the best, so the best shot in cinema history is the dog holding the bone, which is attached to the string, which is attached to the twit. Mind you, both triggers of the double barrel <laughs> shotgun. And as he walks by, and as they drive by, they see a rabbit, and he just stares at the dog in fright that the dog's going to react to the rabbit, and the dog is just. Cool Cool as a cucumber. Oh, the dog so rules so much. Speaking of regrettable decisions, killing that dog. Yeah. Also, if you would have if you would have quizzed me before rewatching these, I would have said he had that dog in the first movie. But he didn't have that dog in the first movie, did he? It, no, he didn't. It so he made like a. He made a dog friend. He made an emotional connection. Post-apocalypse. It kills our yeah. whole theory, Peter. We're screwed. It does. Aaron, it does. Aaron wins. Slaughtered. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. He's a reluctant hero. It, 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 God damn it. <laughs> it sucks he's a he's loner. Like a pure uh, uh, Jesus-like hero now. All of his moral actions have been wiped away. <sighs> My argument failed. Therefore, everything failed. Well, it is tough to be on the position that this character played by Mel Gibson is not an anti-hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look where you found yourself. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, can we talk real quick about how far things have gone in, like, you know, a couple of years yes. post-apocalypse? Why... If they're they got rid of all the buildings. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> There's no more buildings. Like, what is this gang really doing? They're more focused on gas than food. That's the part that, like, I really can't understand. Like, 
I get it. This is, this is huge spoilers for We Are the Flash. <laughs> but there's an alternate version of this movie where, like, one of the guys drives away and, like, the towns are still just fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> these two groups of weirdos are just play acting in the desert. They took their cosplaying way too seriously, but, like, everything's generous. It, it kind of feels like that. If, if the beach towns where they're still, like, you know civilization and green grass and what have you is still alive and and well we just chose to be out here because there's some gas for our vehicles like why the fuck didn't everyone like leave and i just like the idea that there's literally no apocalypse whatsoever but somehow just australia like someone just drives by like a police officer halfway through the movie and goes what the fuck <laughs> is this what do you guys have a fort is that where that school bus went we've been shipping them off in dotson's to school <laughs> you stole the school bus for your fort how old are you why do we have ski goggles little timmy to the back of a kangaroo for the past six weeks why do we have this isn't a toy boomerang you gave this to a kid (laughs) we're calling whatever the version of child protective services on you whose kid is this moment there's a great moment when the 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 uh humongous gang um is is like uh rallying the troops back away from the siege because this is a siege movie like a siege western like Rio Bravo um, and uh, they're rallying them away from the siege with cop cars and for a second I was like are there still cops around and then I realized no one was attacking the cop cars and I was like oh no they just they just have cop cars now. The bad guys just just own cop cars now. That's how bad things have gotten. And it, and it's, it, it feels like a generate uh, it feels like a generalized uh, mockery of law and order that is very specific to offending Max, who was once once someone who held up that title. At first, I was like, "Wait, are there cops here? Why are there sirens going?" I was like, "No, they just stole cop cars," which <laughs> is like a great way to say like we won. All right, here's a question: the the folks in the fort, would you have told Max about the plan? Oh shit. Because here's the thing, right? Like, if he is actually a good guy, great. He clearly didn't demonstrate it enough to them or they would have shared the plan, right? So, they're simply using Max, send him out on this mission where, in all likelihood, if he wasn't the hero that, reluctant hero that he was, goddamn that dog, he would have died, (laughs) right? So, they sent Max off to his death to cover their escape. Right. So if you're in the same position, do you send Max knowingly or unknowingly? I think it's a survival thing. Like they're, they made a specific stratagem to send Max off to die. But also it makes us think the groups are kind of the group is kind of a dick uh, as, as a communal unit because they send off like other key members basically on a suicide mission as a sacrifice but like you don't find that out till well, the but they're end. martyrs they a whole lot of time to process they're martyrs right they know they're they're going off to their death in support of their vision of the future in green grass yeah. right max is just a poor yeah. schmuck who got lied to yeah and the, even the and the leader is gets away from the column in his little tube car his little boxcar racer, he gets away from the column to protect himself, and then he returns to the column to try and save feral kids. <laughs> so, like, that's clearly the deal. Is he's like, all right, shit, I can't let a kid die. 
I can't let this kid specifically die. So he tries to scoop in. He knows the battle's not going well. He tries to scoop up the feral kid, and then he gets tridented. So yeah, they they knew exactly what they were doing, even though they risked uh, dash sa- dash sacrificed a lot of their members. Yeah, right. Uh, I think what else is interesting about this movie is how generally ineffectual Max seems. <laughs> um, like in Fury Road, he like. Sure, he gets captured when there's an overwhelming amount of people, but then he still breaks out and, like, when he has, like, a little bit of space, he's fucking, you know, doing some amazing I'm shit. Gonna get shit this done. Movie, like, yeah. he's getting shit done. In this movie, he's just, like, constantly fucks up shit. <laughs> like, he... Yeah. Like, yeah, the beginning scene is fine. He has a little standoff. He gets some gas and some old Tupperware. Catches a snake. Um... <laughs> Uh, he catches the snake. Like, yeah, he beats the gyro captain, the crazy snake man that lives in the desert. Like, not exactly an accomplishment you put on your LinkedIn profile. Um, and then the rest of the movie is him. He gets captured immediately by the by the uh, nomads. Uh, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to go get this tanker. And he literally just goes and drives it back. Like, here's the tanker. Open the yeah, like, bus. Oh, wait, they're not going to let me Every- drive it back in? Like, I didn't <laughs> yeah, think about else- that. <laughs> He's getting he's getting shots taken at him. Wheels are going out. Like the whole thing kind of sucks. Uh, and also, like the cars swerve away from the chicken wire. Like you'll just break open the chicken wire. You guys will get in there just fine after that. Um, but then he's like, "Let me go take my car and go out to the wilderness." Uh, he's like, "Oh no, they destroyed my car immediately. Now, now I'm all fucked up. Like I can barely walk." So then he comes back uh, and it's like. Like, what project should we give Max next, right? <laughs> and, and, and even, even they're like, like, yeah, I don't think we want you to drive the truck anymore. He's like, I'm driving the truck. They're like, okay. God. So they give him a truck full of sand. Yeah. You'd be like, I guess let some other people. Exactly. You bet. You're definitely not driving the bus, you know? <laughs> he lets he lets every person on the tanker die, except for the kid. <laughs> And then he crashes the tanker, which thank God they didn't give him the gas. Right? Because if they gave him the gas, that's it. Like, you can't trust Mad Max with the gas. This guy keeps fucking up stuff. Like, they made a really good call. Yeah. Uh, and I, w- I would say that general Mad Max is incredibly incompetent in this movie. Wow. I love the, I love the idea, though, just speaking globally, like – that in the last movie, I, I consider the last movie like a pre-apocalyptic movie or mid-apocalyptic movie, similar to The Rover. Um, we talked about that a lot last week, where um, it's ha- it, the, the apocalypse is happening similarly around them, but like it's not a disaster movie. They have no control over it. This isn't the core. Like this is a this is a movie where they they have no control over what's happening. They only have control over what's happening in their small little sphere, and so it makes even more sense to have this movie where Max is like. Uh, fucking like just some. He's just another raider on the road. There's no reason for him to be crowned king and end up. This isn't uh, what's uh fucking uh Conan the Barbarian, where at the end of the movie he like has to be king because he's clearly like king fucking barbarian. Um, Max is just like a a combination of lucky and good that happens to get him to serve just he's just lucky and good enough to survive through all this shit and you're right it feels ineffectual where he's like at the end of the movie you're like that was a rad chase also this guy's a kind of a loser (laughs) yeah this guy got fucked (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, I mean, he has a good idea, which is uh, I saw a, a car with wheels that can transport the tanker. But even that's not really an idea. That's just like seeing something and saying something. If anything, he just would be really helpful at airports. Where if you see something, you say something. And that's what he did. Oh, there's an unattended uh, piece of baggage. I mean, clearly. Yeah. Oh, hey. Oh, I see that. So that's like a tanker? <laughs> Interesting. It's like a semi would drive that. Just happened to see one 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Perfect little serendipity there. <laughs> Funny how this works out. Oh. No. Takes me back uh, to the How would you get it there? Yeah. Under the cover of night? Just nope. take me back to the core. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys done the core yet? Because in any event, if this ever happens, I want to sign up or raise my hand for the core. I've never even seen the core. Oh, my God. Go home. I am home. Where do you think I record this from? <laughs> you think I'm, like, at a uh, studio somewhere? Like, I leave my family on Tuesday we're nights? We're all in the same room recording. Shh. They don't know. <laughs> People know. We talk about it all the, the time. The green room is a the, literal the, green room. How do you guys room. go out on that balcony? Like, when we whisper, let's go out <laughs> on the terrace. Like, how does that happen? We can do it. Uh... Who do you want to go out on the terrace with, Bill? <laughs> well, we're all in the same room, so why wouldn't we all go out? Well, I know, but you ha- normally you don't take everyone out to the terrace, because if not, it's just a conversation you could just have in the room, not on the terrace. Well, I mean, you gotta, obviously, you exclude it's normally you two, right? Since you exclude the guests from these conversations. Uh, sometimes we take guests out if we want to make a joke at the host's expense. Yeah, well, I snuck out once <laughs> while you two were trying to make a joke at my expense. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, no. This is like... Don't, I'm, I'm not exposing anything. This was on air. I mean, you guys didn't edit it out. I mean, I found you. The, the terrace is a concept that really works out well in my favor because um, whoever takes someone out to the terrace, there's a, there's a third or even fourth person that's left inside the room. And uh, <laughs> that person is in a lose-lose scenario. One, they either uh, get roasted. Two... Uh, they fail to yes and the improv. That's actually the worst crime you can commit on the podcast. <laughs> Which makes makes them look like they're bad they're bad uh bad team players. Yeah. Uh, Someone didn't go to improv school like you guys. <laughs> yeah, we definitely went to improv school. Yes. Where we And you did wonderfully at your ballet lessons afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh the only you other scene where uh, do you remember the scene where Feral Kid it, Max is telling Feral Kid to get up on the fucking fender <laughs> or on the roof of the no. truck? He's like, "Get the show, get the show!" He's literally yelling at a child to crawl on the roof of a truck going like eighty miles an hour. He may be a child, but he'd be tried as an adult, so I think he can go out. <laughs> Uh, that's actually like the last note I have that we haven't got to uh, in very unclear ways is that like you rarely see boomerang carnage and I'm glad that some movies like this thing could be sharp <laughs> like why not you throw it uh, yeah well, seeing that go through the head I mean that is really questionable but I like it is let me ask you a question I don't know that much about the history of boomerangs is it a weapon that became a game? <laughs> or, like, what is it? Well, well, think about it conceptually. If you hit your target, you're never getting it back. Uh, yeah, but if you miss your target, you get infinity shots. <laughs> well, but what's the point? Like, are you going go to are you gonna go to you, war you eventually, with 100 arrows or 100 boomerangs? It's kind of like an infinite ammo code, right? Like, the second it doesn't come back, it means you've won. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Bill, that's a bad example. Do you go to war with... Uh, 
A hundred arrows expecting half of them to miss or 50 boomerangs. And I would say if you got ample uh, strafing space, you choose the boomerang. Do you think it's uh, cool that when you type in boomerang, it actually comes up with the Cartoon Network spinoff that shows all the Hanna-Barbera stuff over the actual boomerang? That feels like bullshit. Boomerang <laughs> took its name from boomerang. Yeah, that feels like a indigenous Australian erasure. <laughs> uh, bad news. It apparently... Was used by indigenous people in Australia for hunting. Hunting. Okay, fine. That's not a weapon for war. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's life or death. It's a weapon for boar. It's it's yeah. It's great. Okay, if if you're gonna hunt it, it game, is, but it's for hunting. Yeah, so yeah. No, no. Hunting a person and hunting game are different, right? Because if you miss the game, it, it's scared off in any event, right? Or you throw your second boomerang. But I'm saying like. It would not Look, make sense to hunt people with a boomerang. But you could say yeah. the same thing about, like, bow and arrow. I'm just saying. No, like, I can't say the same thing about a bow and arrow. It. I cannot. You can say it with a bow and arrow. It, it's primarily used for hunting, but you could shoot other people with it. It makes sense to shoot people with a, a bow and arrow. It does not make sense to throw a boomerang at someone. I just think in general that that's colonialism, what you just tried to say, that it was a game. Yeah. And not supported on the show. No, fine. <laughs> fine. That's fine. Yeah, it's a game to you. It was a way of at life least, for many At least in my colonies, we drive on the right side of the road, unlike Australia. <laughs> that is the best part about Fury Road. We don't have to sit and watch the whole movie with, like, that's the wrong side. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no roads. This is a better Australia. <laughs> <laughs> if they inverted all the film, that would work, right? Tom Hardy's lazy eye would be on the left <laughs> instead of the right, but, like, everything else would be okay, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They should. Why don't, why don't you just watch the fucking movie Upside Down, Bill? <laughs> I'll watch it in a mirror. I'll... I don't think Upside Down actually helps me. No, I think it'll be so distracted as to why people aren't falling off the earth that you won't care about what side of the road. Plus the toilet. Which way does it spin? <laughs> It'd be great if they, if they, whenever a movie came to America, as not to confuse American drivers, they did have to invert Australian and New Zealand movies and British movies. Uh, but they had to also dub over anybody referring to left and right in the wrong capacity. Turn left. <laughs> <laughs> like wow, the cars are driving on the right side of the road, but the signs are all backwards. <laughs> uh, Oi, mum, where's the funeral parlor? It's just up here on the right. <laughs> oh, um, I'm gonna get all this edited uh, out, aren't I? I mean, shit. That's what it might not. be. It. I think a lot of this is. Uh, I think gold. this is most of the episode. Uh, yeah, I, but I think what what we're finding out here is that we're done. <laughs> Uh, so early in the episode, I referred to this, uh, this is being, uh, hugely inspiring to the culture at large. Um, and the biggest, biggest output, I guess you could say most famous output would be like the fallout games or something, um, where you see this concept of like the Raider and it's usually like a dude wearing leather and a mask. And there's like the, the noble wastelander, this wanderer type. And like, um, we, we referred to this, I think last week, but the, 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 the post-apocalyptic um, power dynamics and the man out in a lawless world is essentially a modernization of the Western. You have to make pragmatic decisions. You're going based off your gut. You're going based off of who you think uh, could win um, and sort of the sense of survivalism. But 
and I think Mad, what Mad Max did, which made it very interesting, is we could have had a very different vision of the post-apocalypse. We wouldn't have Walking Dead. We wouldn't. Um, <clears throat> we probably actually wouldn't have uh, a sort of. Um, I know Romero helped form this as well with Dawn of the Dead, but we wouldn't really have that like sort of uh, folks going wild and raiding for cans and shit uh, vision of the world in the post-apocalypse if it wasn't for uh, Road Warrior specifically. Um, and, and this idea that it's like sort of a Western where you have to scratch out a living and when you, when you shoot a bad guy, you don't just keep on walking. You look through their bag. Like you, you see what you see, what they've got. Um, and that sort of connection of the Western, uh, also makes this movie, um, feel deeply American in a sense, even though it is deeply Australian. Um, Americans have a sort of wide open space, and the idea of this sort of push and pull between like a man out on his own, just living the no man is an island kind of concept mixed with you could live in a community, but that's just more stuff you could lose. Feels like a, a very deeply American idea as well. And I think that's why this movie is stuck on in the American consciousness, both consciously and subconsciously. Um, and it's stuck around in our art, in our video games, in how we, we, we it's sort of um, this prepper culture that's boomed. There's a belief, there was a belief during the uh, mid-2000s that we used to make fun of George Bush Republicans for having, which was, uh, or evangelical uh, Republicans in particular for having, for thinking that they were the last generation. That um, the world was going to end in the next, you know, eight, ten years, and George Bush was going to be the man at the trigger, and he was going to help kick off the end of day's war. And we all made fun of them. And then, a few years later, George Bush left office, uh, nuclear proliferation headed for, headed forward. We got more and more scared of each other and more and more scared of a sense, a sense of community or sense of division in that community. We became more and more liberals, conservatives, independents, whoever the fuck, all became obsessed with this idea that any bad thing that happened is just going to crumble. And a lot of that is post-2008 recession stuff, um, which makes sense. Um, but we became obsessed with the idea that it's all going to crumble and that we're the last generation on Earth. And it's, it's, it is sort of a narcissistic idea um, that, like, I'm going to be there when all the big stuff happens. This movie, the filter through which we view um, that those apocalyptic visions. Um, and that's why when you see it's funny when you see these tweets about people being like, oh, who are you going to be in the post the post apocalypse? And like the only funny tweets are people being like, I think I'm going to be some sort of post apocalyptic bard. But what I really am going to be is like a pincushion for guy who's good at throwing knives. Like all of our visions of this sort of end of world scenario, no matter which political uh, field you come from, uh, go through Road Warrior. No, I think it's a good call up because like that idea of like the post-apocalyptic wasteland and the way that people kind of see themselves is you're right. Everyone kind of sees themselves as a Mad Max, but like most of us aren't even the gyro captain, right? We, we're, we're people that died somewhere in the I city. can't train a snake. I can't tra- – like I don't even know if he no, can, but he I definitely, definitely can't, can't gather him up. This movie doesn't – have the same like place in my heart that it does for so many people just because as i've said like mad max was my slight preference and uh i really loved this movie but i was like one of those people that was like yeah but i've seen mad max though so this is a movie i've always really loved and appreciated like it for how like lean it is you have a character with almost no motivation uh no so no interest beyond his own and um, 
you have just these like well-realized apocalyptic uh, components that now feel like templates or like parody to some extent because they've been copied and used so many times. But I can see why, at the very least, this was just a giant leap from from Mad Max to Road Warrior from the the stunts and the sequences and like as I said, like the 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 last twenty minutes of this movie feels a little bit smaller now that there's a fury road in the world but even seeing it for the uh like even seeing it like four or five years ago like the year before fury road came out i was like holy shit this is some impressive stuff and it really still is like it is such a sustained beat of action and and all these like not just a, not just a sustained like line of action, but also just like this hopelessness that never feels like they're going to be able to recover. There's always more people. All their defenses keep crumbling, and by the end, like we said, uh, Mad Max is yelling at an eight year old to go out on the roof of a car to go get a shotgun shell. Like <laughs> it's not a good situation. Um, but yeah, it is. It really is kind of the centerpiece to these movies that kind of takes us from. Uh, revenge flick lost lost his wife lost his kid to like okay well now he's in the wasteland what does that look like how does he interact with it what is Mad Max's motivation and not only did it make a great movie here it made two additional great movies in setting up kind of what that looks like as as the next two movies kept building off the template set here as well. So, great movie. I'm really excited to talk about Beyond Thunderdome next week with Amanda Lett. Uh, that's what we're doing next week. And then wrapping it up with Joseph Finn and Fury Road uh, to end March Maxness. Um, Bill, I don't know why I'm asking, just out of politeness, but do you have anything to promote? <laughs> No. <laughs> okay, great. You should check out my last podcast uh, that I was on. It's a uh, small little thing. Not many people have heard of it. We love to watch. <laughs> I was on in December twice. Oh, I've heard those guys are huge. Oh, oh, uh, oh. A, humble, a humble country podcast. <laughs> just a... <laughs> I'm just a simple small town country podcast and... Uh, I reckon uh, maybe I could uh, get a few listens out. We're not like one of you big city podcasts with your like uh, not saying words like like <laughs> and um and having a producer you can refer to who's actually there and who does most of the real busy work for you. Now we're like we're like one of those more humble ones who uh, does this to keep keep sane, <laughs> keep sane in a world. <laughs> <laughs> Where well, I never heard of a uh, outline per se, but uh, the only thing I consider out of line is preparing in any way. Are you telling me that you can pay money for audio recording software that functions much more consistently than the type that we're using? Because that just sounds like malarkey to me. Aaron, I like the idea of starting with the accent and ending with the accent, but in the middle, just doing whatever you want. Just going wild. Freestyle. I think I'm being pretty consistent. You're, you're, you're like me and I. Look! We're not one of those big city podcasts that has a consistent accent all throughout. <laughs> we just want to hit the high points. <laughs> we're not one of those big city podcasts who uh, were able to take UCB classes. <laughs> and we're able to work on an accent consistently for 
20, 30, 40 minutes of interminable comedy. <laughs> yeah, in that way, we've kind of failed upwards while you have not lived up to your potential. <laughs> 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 well done. Oh, uh, we guys have a Patreon that, that I can subscribe to. <laughs> Just to be clear, this is we're doing Australian accent. Yeah. Right? This, that's what we're doing. <laughs> it's a classic Australian accent. Uh, okay. All right. Well, much like uh, uh, the the villain of the Road Warrior, I'm going to go check out my son who's on this leash. <laughs> so, uh, good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. <laughs>